0: But in brief, Gary Hall, Jr. is a three-time Olympian. Uh, I think after his first uh, Olympic uh, tour, he was diagnosed with diabetes, and he's going to tell about his journey. And one of the things I like about uh, Gary Hall, Jr. is that he equates the journey to the goal as just as important as the podium stand itself. And also uh, everything that's happened along the way with, with his battle and how he's able to transcend the sport into something valuable for uh, health care and fitness and diabetes advocacy. So, Gary, maybe you can share with us your thoughts on the journey itself and what was memorable about it with the odds that you overcame
1: well you know I, i'm not the only person that has suggested that it's the uh, journey not the destination um and that has uh, certainly been uh the case uh that you know the um lessons learned along the way uh are really the of, of greatest value um you know a, a chunk of metal is fantastic it's a uh, sim- symbolic um of, of uh, it's, it's a reward um, for the amount of work that you put in along the way um, and, and, and uh, recognition of achievement but um, the, the, the real value uh, it comes in, in, in the character that is built um, that uh, uh, this is the point of sport we test ourselves we test our limits we challenge ourselves and um, you know, we uh, it, it teaches us to um, uh, face adversity, um, deal with adversity, and overcome, persevere, and and, and it's really that it's it's, it's that, that that persevering um, perseverance uh, that that is uh, the journey ultimately.
0: Can you give like a couple memorable examples of either day to day training or through the process itself, or even dealing with the media or dealing with your uh, coaches or your family, um, sort of the adversities that you overcame and maybe some unique ways or, or how you addressed it, things that you learned along the way with addressing that adversity?
1: Yeah, well you mentioned uh, in the intro that I was diagnosed with uh, type 1 di- diabetes and autoimmune disease after my first Olympic Games. I was uh, 24 years old and um, yeah it just uh came out of nowhere, no family history i, I didn 't really know what it was when I was told that I had it and um, I was also told by two doctors that it was the end of my swimming career. Um, I had invested so much time, so much effort so much uh into getting to that level in the sport and um yeah and, and it was being pulled from from me <laughs> and um and, and I think that the lessons learned in in sport, you know, how to set goals and and, and take small steps and to achieve those goals, um, uh, gave me the fortitude uh, necessary to uh, not accept that, uh, to get back into the sport, uh, despite these doctors saying that it can't be done. Um, Nobody had ever gone to the Olympic games with type one diabetes uh, previously. So they weren't, uh, wrong. Um, I just had to prove them wrong. Right.
0: Now you come from a swimming legacy. Your,
1: your grandfather, right. Was, his, was he a swimmer? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then of course your father. My father, my grandfather, my mother was a swimmer too. Um, they met at a swim meet, um, at a swim pool. Oh, with that's cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: recently saw that, you know, your dad of course has a swim text that he's coming out with. And I didn't know this either, but he roomed with Mark Spitz uh, in Munich. Did he ever tell you about how surreal that whole, I mean, I guess, I think his events were prior to to uh, the tragedy at Munich, uh, so I don't know if he was uh, present during the whole uh, melee. Did he ever talk about that at all with you, or...?
1: Yeah, he did. He was there. Um he he remembers it well. Uh it was completely the Olympic Games themselves were a completely different experience. There was no security at all. Um in in those games my mother and father were dating. Um my mother and her family could come and go into the Olympic village as they pleased. Uh you could walk up to any athlete's door and knock on it. It was like a hotel. Um and, and um and so, yeah, that, uh, that, that all changed with that tragedy. But he was roommates with Spitz um, because Spitz is a Jewish uh, American. Um, they were afraid that he may, might be a target. And so they whisked him um, from uh, the room in the middle of the night. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, everybody remembers that, uh, certainly my father.
0: How did your dad support you when you had um, the diagnosis with diabetes? I know that your initial doctor was a little, as you, more than a little skeptical, and then you, of course, sought out other medical advice. And and uh, you, at some point, I don't know in the t- on the chronology, connected with Mike Bottom, one of one of your, uh, you know, very connected coaches that that you guys shared, uh, I guess, uh, an approach. How did how did he approached it, you know, to his son. I'm sure it was uh, tough for him to see you kind of dealing with the adversity, but how did he support you? And, and you know, maybe, maybe it'll give us a little bit of, uh, you know, back, backdrop for, you know, fathers and sons and how, how they deal with things together.
1: Yeah, well, I was an adult, um, you know, it's different for a parent um, when a child is diagnosed. Um They take on a large part of the responsibility of uh dosing insulin with meals and giving shots and staying up through the night to check on their blood sugar levels to make sure that they 're not dropping um, so he was able to sidestep a lot of that burden and, and, and I think worry obviously there was concern um obviously there was support, but um you know uh it, it, I was old enough to take it on as my own responsibility. And um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, the way that any parent would react, you know, I, it was concern and, and, and support. You always seemed to me to be the
0: type of athlete that uh, was not living in the shadow of his father. You did it sort of your way. He had his uh, approach to, and of course, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I know that he was, um, you know, trained by one of the one of the swimming great coaches, Doc Councilman. How did um, how did you kind of find your own way and then get comfortable with your own training methods? I know there's some interesting stories, some anecdotes. I, I saw on Swimswam how you uh, you took a break from the monotony of the of the black line and all those laps because for you, I guess it was a burnout, and and decided to do. Tell us about that raft thing in the, in the diving pool that day and sort of the different approaches that, uh, that you took to kind of keep it fresh and uh, avoid burnout.
1: Yeah, so it, 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 to compete at that level of the sport, um, it, it becomes so consuming. Um, you know, I was training between six and eight hours every day, um, with the exception of Sunday. And um, just you, you do that day in day a out, Um, a swimmer really, most swimmers don't take more than two weeks off uh, through a year. Um, And that usually, you know, it it includes all the weekends. Um, So it's not like a regular work week for them. So um, it it, it can, a lot of, a lot of burnout, a lot of uh, overload, um, overuse injuries uh, can be sustained. And um, yeah, I just, um, I swam a lot of laps, uh, back and forth, uh, it, it, the monotony of it um, gets to you. And so I always made a point of carving out time for myself, um, taking a, a year off after each Olympic Games. Um, not, you know, I, I was staying active uh, during that time, you know, playing other sports or doing something else. Um, And, uh, but, and then from 2000 to 2008, um, I'd say 60% of my swimming was done in the ocean. I was living down in South Florida and um, that made, um, it's so much more entertaining than the black line at the bottom of the pool, uh, swimming around with fish, chasing down fish, um, you know, spearfishing and surfing, all explosive work, all very specific to the races that I was doing. So I felt like, swimming against currents you know going out and and kicking against a, a strong current for five hours um you know is it, like a, a runner that only runs uphill and, and then all of a sudden you get into still water and it, it feels like you're running downhill um, uh, so um yeah that was um it, it just change of environment change of scenery Uh, it it allowed me to stay in the sport. I I retired at uh, age 34 from the sport. And if you told me at, you know, 15 years old that I'd still be swimming uh, at 34, and that's, you know, was all I was doing, uh, I I would have never believed it. Um, My father, um, you know, I was able to stay, uh, I was 34 when I retired. My father took uh, a year off medical school um, to come back and make his third Olympic Games at age 25. And his nickname was the old man of the sea um, <laughs> at 25. Now it, that's like younger than I think the average age of uh, the men's, um, uh, men's swim team at the Olympic Games. So, um, yeah, the sport has changed. Obviously, there's more opportunities, sponsorship, uh, interest uh, that can help support the athletes and, and uh, allow them to continue doing what they want to do. Um, rather than prematurely have to go out and, and join the real world, uh, get a job to pay for groceries. Um, uh, you know, that's uh, part of the sacrifice. Even now with the sponsorship opportunities, so many of those athletes that you see on the medal podium um, at the Olympic Games, you know, spend a lot of time sleeping on couches and eating breakfast cereal, uh, cheap pizza and stuff just to get through, just to continue doing what they love to do. Um, obviously uh, a Michael Phelps or a Ryan Moty are an exception where they're making you know a lot of money but um, for most of the athletes uh, representing team USA um, it, it, there's real sacrifice
0: as far as um, what you've come across uh, since your your journey have you been able to technically advise any elite athletes that have come up, come down with a diagnosis with diabetes or any Amateur athletes coming up the ranks. Has there been any specific things where you've been able to kind of? Because you, you talked to me a couple times about how uh, you have to monitor your sugar carefully because of the adrenaline of getting ready for the, uh, the event and so forth. And, and maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I have been able to work with uh, quite a few uh, uh, athletes with diabetes. Um, I've done a lot of grassroots advocacy work through the years and have connected with so many incredible patient organizations, research groups, and um, now hospitals, uh, caregivers that uh, specialize in the area of diabetes management. And so that has connected me with countless, countless uh, people, uh, many of them athletes uh, before they were diagnosed, uh, many wanting to continue to be athletes after the diagnosis. So yeah, that's been rewarding. I mean, it, it really is uh nice for me to be able to do that because there isn't that much information out there for uh when i was diagnosed th- there was no instruction manual there was no uh, there was very 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 little information available uh talking about the difference between aerobic exercise and anaerobic exercise and uh the, the 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 spikes that come with competition the adrenaline the uh stress uh the endorphins that um cause uh blood sugars uh levels to rise Um, It wasn't talked a lot about, and that has changed considerably. Um, There are more resources available to somebody uh, diagnosed today uh, that wants to participate in sport. And I've uh, lended a a shoulder uh, to that effort um, through the years through various uh, ways. I I co-authored the International Olympic Committee uh, Consensus Statement on Youth Sport, on how to manage chronic conditions in sport and physical activity. And um, that's published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. So, you know, for a, uh, a you know, a dumb jock, uh, I, I found myself uh, able to, uh, you know, uh, be in with some, you know, incredible sports medicine uh, professionals um, and, and, and uh, the folks that are, um, you know, trying to make it easier for people uh, with diabetes and with other chronic conditions uh, to, you know, be part of sport. Um, unfortunately for so many years um, they were uh, discriminated against Um, and and, and, you know if you have a, a volunteer baseball coach you know at youth level it's usually some players dad big heart you know cares about the sport played the sport to some degree you know when they were young but they don't have medical training like how to treat hypoglycemic reaction on the field, um, that type of thing. So, you know, when they hear, oh, Timmy has diabetes, um, you know, very politely, uh, you know, they're put on the bench um, because they are seen as a liability. And um, so there weren't as many athletes in sport uh, prior um, to this kind of effort and I, I there's I, I'm, I'm one of many uh, so many people have contributed to uh, the dissemination of, of uh, You know um, materials that can help volunteer coaches uh, address these uh, topics and, um, and 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 for athletes themselves to read up on on, on how to address uh, some of these uh, Very uh, treacherous uh, things. Um, low blood sugars and, and high blood sugars and, and complications that can stem from unmanaged diabetes. It's a very real thing. And so a lot of people have struggled with that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we're just doing our best to um, make incremental improvements. Fortunately, there have been such advances in technology, um, insulins, faster acting insulins uh, there are continuous glucose monitoring devices that I wish I had while I was training that uh, make a huge difference in an athlete's ability to head off and, and prevent uh, hypoglycemic uh, reactions from occurring. So, um, yeah, we're making strides. We're making strides. It's getting easier, and, and, and there's more and more examples of people performing at the highest level of sport because of it. With diabetes. So you,
0: I think you are one of the, as you said, m- many of uh, There's been many athletes, but you're certainly one of the poster childs of breaking down the stigmata with diabetes because you achieved such a high level of success. What other other sort of, we're in the age of, with healthcare information and disinformation, what other things, if you were on a healthcare task force, and I know you've testified in Congress, what things would you like to see with not only diabetes, but chronic disease that are not being addressed other than the fact that we're more open now to Timmy not sitting on the bench, to, to being inclusive. But what other areas do you think are still lagging other than things that are more difficult, let's face it, to change like uh, financial costs of insulin, which yeah. you know, certainly there's been an awareness, but maybe other things that you're aware of because you live with diabetes.
1: Sure, access to health insurance, uh, pre-existing conditions. This is a topic uh, in, a, in an election year. Um, the rising costs of drugs uh, for people with chronic conditions. Uh, it's exploiting the sick when you look at the profits that are made. Um, you know, it's uh, so combating against that, combating against uh, some of the the, the uh, interests the the of uh, industry. Um, it's it's um it's difficult at times, but uh, we have to speak up. Uh, there has to be some uh, unity among patients uh, to address these things in order to be heard. And um, yeah, that's going to be an ongoing um, battle.
0: I know you've been uh, always one to not always one to uh, not always take the popular. Uh, sort of a, a, approached with being vocal about things that you believed in. I know that was the case uh, when there was scandals with Balco and athletes that uh, you you thought might have used performance enhancing drugs. What sort of gave you that um, inner sort of message to do that when a lot of athletes, for reasons either sponsorship or fear of re- uh, repercussions with the Olympic committee or their teammates or, you know, being fearful of being one, you know, to be, let's say, jealous, you know, people can come up with any, contrive any sort of stories they want for somebody that speaks out against something that they think is a problem. What's, what sort of drove you through that? And I guess, would you, would you do it again uh, if with faced with the same knowledge that you know now and, and i'm sure there was some blowback but i mean i'd be interested to know if you felt that uh speaking out was worth it
1: uh there's definitely a price that you pay to do that um that you know to exercise that freedom of speech uh there's a price to pay and uh, you know my my sponsors were uh, eclectic off-brand uh guinness beer instead of procter and gamble you know <laughs> like um, Everlast instead of just Speedo um, and the difference was, you know, a lot of money um, to go with kind of those more obscure uh, brands that would be associated with somebody who was willing to talk openly about doping in sport and be honest about it. Um, it was something that, that it troubled me. Um, I am um, compelled. Uh, I have a strong sense of justice, um, social and otherwise, uh, but um, it it just seemed so unjust that, um, you know, uh, you could, uh, you know, somebody who steals a thousand dollars from a gas station goes to jail. Lance Armstrong steals millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions, and millions of dollars. Um, and you can, and he can say, oh yeah, but the next guy was cheating and the next guy was cheating, everybody was cheating. That's not true. That's not true. Like, you may have to go down many, many, many tiers, but eventually somebody down there was a clean athlete who uh, could have been the best. We don't know his name. All right. That's, a, that's, that's an injustice. And, um, you know, just how self-righteous these people were too. I mean, Barry Bonds, um, Roger Clemens, uh, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, uh, Jose Canseco, like these were all childhood uh, heroes of mine. I, I loved baseball when I was a kid. I was just like shattered to learn that not only were these guys cheaters, but they're just like the biggest assholes ever. And that just irked me to no end. And, um, you know, I I didn't see any consequence, right? The consequence was they, you know, if they were shamed, they didn't have to give up all their money or anything like that and they weren't going to jail. Um, So it just, I don't know. Um, Yeah, that that I was always kind of speaking up And, and doping occurs in the Olympics still, I mean. Uh, the documentary Icarus kind of showed the systematic doping, uh, the Russian athletes, and I saw it early um, in, in my swimming career. My first international meet was uh, 1994 uh, World Championships in Rome, and uh, the Chinese women won almost every single event. I think they only like lost two events, the women's 200 freestyle and like maybe a relay. Um, otherwise, they were, I mean, winning like top two, three medals in some of the events um it was just and and it was so clear that they were cheating Uh, there was just i mean the 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 technique i mean you're around the sport you have such an intimate knowledge of the sport you're able to see you've been through the the training and you're able to see the incremental improvements and stuff um and they didn't have the technique they didn't have the training background it was all secretive it was just and, and so it just um, that was my first international meet, and um, I think most of those women uh, that won at that meet eventually tested positive somewhere down the years, down the, the road, and their medals were, uh, you know, never uh, stripped or anything like that. Another personal uh, where, uh, thing that touched me was uh, Michelle Smith, uh, the Austri- uh, I'm sorry, Ireland, Irish uh, swimmer in 1996 Olympics, and she beat Alison Wagner. And Allison was the sweetest girl, um, a friend, and she was the best in the world. And she got silver medals in, in, in two events, I think, to Michelle and, and um, you know, nobody remembers that. And um, so I, I, I took it upon myself to write a letter to email uh, Michelle Smith. She's a lawyer in Ireland and uh, i probably written her about half a dozen times, just asking her to uh, make it right. You know, she, she ended up um, being banned from the sport because she had um, tampered with um, a urine sample. And it had been pretty clear that she had been cheating uh, when she was caught doing that. And so, um, you know, but it is, you know, that wrong was never made right. And um you know a lot of people just forget move on, but Allison didn't you know i i didn't i'm glad I'm glad
0: you took it upon yourself to have a voice with this. I know that um, you know I was never involved with any uh, previous to being with a, an Olympic development track uh program uh, I was never involved with any high level Olympic stuff, but even still I would have occasionally an Olympic caliber athlete come in and uh, I had a, a sprint cyclist and she went to Trexortown for the uh, Balindrome finals and she was beating this woman that I think was uh, doping and, and she, the way the woman who beat out the patient that I was working with, she came in with some uh, Achilles issues. Uh, the, she she kind of peaked everything at the right time with the doping cycle and she had shoulders like a linebacker and it, you know it it seemed very interesting how in training she was doing very well but then when it came to peaking at those uh those event times um you know th- the the tides changed so um that's one thing that struck me and and I could I- identify it and I think when athletes who have been through the grind know how hard it is to get to where you know, even to, you know, get to a, a national uh, collegiate level. Uh, and, and beyond that, knowing how much of a grind it is, I think it's, it's important that people like yourself did step up. And so I, I commend you that you, you did do that, you, you took a chance, but you know, it's, it's who you are. it's And I, I think, I think it was great that and I, I hope that more people will continue uh, with Different things that come up, different social issues, and, and I think we're we're seeing a lot of that certainly uh, now more than ever. Um, I mean, there's, there's a bit, some Go ahead.
1: would rather not talk about. Um, you know, doping is, is one. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. The sexual abuse in, in, in sport uh, that we saw with Larry Nasser and gymnastics that certainly was occurring a lot in the sport of swimming. Like, people don't want to talk about that stuff, and it. It's just, it's ugly stuffed. And, um, you know, sponsors don't want to be aligned with somebody who is addressing that kind of stuff. So, um, we, but that's how that stuff, how, that's how we fix it. We have to make it a national conversation. We have to address it. We have to look at the ugliness of it um, and, 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 and be open and honest. And um, it's only that way that, that we can uh, stop it from happening. Absolutely. Tell me,
0: uh, moving to kind of coaching and the next generation and youth, what are so, uh, some of the ways that you get uh, or that you would recommend? Because there's going to be people watching this on, on YouTube after that, let's say, have a have a kid that's afraid to even dive into a pool. Like that. that's such a leap of faith to, you know, go head first into a pool. You, you talked to, um, let me just... Uh, this out of the way. Sorry, can me get this screen thing out of the way. Tell me a little bit about ways that you've cued children and people that you've talked to about, um, you know, I guess, transcending that fear.
1: Sure, yeah. So, you know, I have had, um, you know, a, a lot of professional success and, and, and working in healthcare and and have some accomplishment with the diabetes advocacy stuff, but. You uh, had some
0: cues, Gary, that, that you did. I saw a video that you did where you were uh, telling some kids about cues that you used in, in, in preparation for your events uh, to kind of almost take on a persona of, I got this. So maybe I, to talk a little bit about, some of those things that I, I think from a sports psychology standpoint that, that kind of got you ready for prep, prep, prepared for success?
1: Yeah, you know, being able to work with kids um, from a learn to swim uh, level up to elite athletes, you know, there's certainly rewards um, at either end of the spectrum. You know, with a, a learn to swim kid, you see uh, fear turn to confidence um, and that's magic. I mean, there's nothing more rewarding uh, than, than when you're able to see that happen. And when they are able to see like, yeah, I can do this, you know, I, I can. And, and, and um, that process that's involved. Um, so I love doing that kind of work. Um, and, and then, you know, in terms of the elite athletes, um, little tricks that you learned, um, you know, through many years of competing, uh, things that worked for me, um, to be able to share that with others, also very rewarding uh, to see them fulfill their own dreams and, and meet their own goals, um, but uh, it, yeah, as some of those things, it really is, it, it differs uh, from individual to individual, um, and, and that's whether, you know, learn to swim, uh, some kids are just absolutely terrified of the water, Initially, others are fearless; just go running straight for it, with, with no ability to swim at all. Um, and 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 elite athletes um, that that those our character varies. You know where we grew up. Um, you know whether it was uh, in a communist country or in California. Um, two very different settings, uh, mindsets, mentality, approach, uh, worldview. Um, so, you know, it, then there's, you know, everybody it, it, shy, extroverted, you know, you, you, all the, the pillars of, of uh, personality uh, to take into consideration. And there is not a one size fits all approach that works. So uh, that was what was really neat to be able to work with Mike Bottom. He was a brilliant psychologist, graduated you know, the top of his class, and he applied that psychology to um, uh, his athletes. What motivates us, what demotivates us, and it varied from individual to individual, some people he needed to yell at like it, two inches from you know their face, uh, just scream at him and, and in order to get the best result out of that person. If he tried that with me, it would have had the opposite effect i I, mean, I, I just would not have performed um, as well, so he was uh, somebody that shared with me um, that Uh, We we really need to fine-tune our approaches with individuals um, that we're working with, um, whether that's learn to swim or elite-level athletes.
0: Well, I love the pre-race routine. I think we'll finish with this, Gary. Tell me how you have sort of managed with this unique time that we're living in right now with the pandemic, uh, maintaining you know, positive psychology. Obviously, you're getting involved with coaching now. You're giving something back to the sport. I know you're involved with some other things as well. On a personal level and uh, sort of a a health and fitness level, what would sort of you share as an athlete to uh, the community about ways to sort of overcome the blahs that many people have with you know, the environment uh, of of being, feeling more closed in.
1: Yeah. Well, so much data, um, verifying that, you know, uh, in addressing mental health, the the mental health benefits to exercise. So if you, you know, I I know that it's uh, a struggle for so many people right now uh, that lives are being disrupted, interrupted, reinvented, Um, That, you know, so many people are having to pivot in in, in such major ways right now. Um, Everybody. And and, and so it's important to um, uh, maintain um, some uh, exercise, Um, you know, and and, and it seems like um, there are two people that I meet through the crisis and and reaching out to people and, and people that I'm coming across. Those that um are saying gosh you know i'm sitting on the couch i have watched i finished netflix you know like um or i finished hbo or you know and and, uh, you know eating you know eating too much or, or just you know taking up uh bad habits maybe drinking too much or something like that um and then other people who i come across and they're like i've never been in better shape i can't remember the last time i was in great shape you know and if you can Make something part of your routine. Um, every Wednesday at two o'clock, uh, every or five p.m., you know, I'm going for a, uh, you know, five mile hike, twenty minutes on the treadmill, uh, you know, at, at lunch or something, you know, whatever it is, um, some routine, some physical activity and exercise uh, will help you. Um, it will help all of us.
0: Gary, that was great. I really appreciate you doing this segment uh, of my podcast, FitFootU. Uh, you've been uh, uh, just great with the healthcare community and uh, a personal friend as well. And I, I really appreciate that you, um, you took some time to do this. So thank you so much and uh, wishing you continued success with your diabetes advocacy and your, your coaching and, and with your family.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Ben. It's really uh, a pleasure and uh, keep up the good work you're doing. Okay. Thank you, Garrett. Hi. Right.